This is the conclusion of meatpacking. And I mean, to conclude something like this, something so metal, you know what I mean? It's about pig death, which sounds like a metal band. You got to give a little more than classical. You know, you got to go, you got to go that extra mile. You got to get that ganoush. I'm Tommy Thompson, and this is Dirty History. Like I said, I'm Tommy Thompson, and this is Dirty History, a podcast dedicated to those pieces of the past that are routinely overlooked by educators and academics alike. Not because they're unimportant, but because they take balls. And I know that's not the official byline. If I got invited to the Oxford University Union, that's not my take. You know, that's not the bit I'm going to do. But hell, I added in swear words to get that explicit rating because it it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel legitimate any other way. You got to do it. You got to go for it. These... These goddamn slaughterhouses, man. These goddamn diggity doggity slaughterhouses. I mean, I... I'm kind of going to miss them. I'm going to miss talking about these slaughterhouses. I was thinking about how I was going to do these episodes way back when, and I originally wanted to do them in two parts. I was going to go outside the slaughterhouses and inside the slaughterhouses. It was going to end with lawmakers and the public at large becoming aware what was happening to their food, and we'd get a happy ending with the Meat Inspection Act and the creation of the FDA... And it'd all be big old happy ending. Tie it up in a bow for you, bring it back, and say, hey, dirty history doesn't always suck. But then it occurred to me that I'm talking about an unchecked big business. Unchecked up until the FDA. And what often happens when you got a big business that's unchecked, it puts profits before decency. You got the general people, and you got the business. And both of their noses are facing the same way, if you know what I'm saying. The general people just get turned around. Big business and the people, their noses, they're aligned. That's what's happening. So that's where three parts come from. I looked ahead to the 1906 end date, and I saw some disturbing shit. It was scary, to say the least. You know in Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares? where he goes into a dysfunctional and unsanitary kitchen, he does a remodel, he redesigns the menu, he retrains the staff, and the episode's almost over, and you're like, holy shit, this restaurant looks pretty good. Then Gordon returns a few months later. This is dirty history, returning to the kitchen. This is the end of the third act, the conclusion, only you you don't get a happy ending. Because shit doesn't always end up tied in a bow. That said, this episode will probably be a bit shorter than the last two. But I promise you to get you um back up to your customary 20-30 minutes of content. Even though half of you stop listening at 15 minutes, I see the analytics. I know how it gets down, but you know what? I'm still going to do it for the 10 of you that listen to the full episode. But if the episode doesn't go out, you know, it doesn't go that long, it goes to 30 minutes... Oh shit, I'll just edit this part out and no one will be the wiser. That's the power of not being live. 
So up top, before we get into it, we need to do a small few few caveats, you know, a few corrections to last week's episode. Just want to get it out of the way real quick instead of waiting until the end of the episode where none of you are going to hear it. So first, I wanted to talk about last week I overlooked a few things that I think they're pretty important. I think they tell the full story and um you're not going to get the whole you're not going to get the whole context without it. So real quick, from 1894 to 1900, Chicago Board of Health, their stats show that somewhere between 40 to 55% of deaths in the Stockyard District of Chicago were kids six and under. You see why I think that's important? In that time period we're covering, the Board of Health of Chicago showed that 40 to 55%, around half of all the deaths, were kids under six. They were dying in the junkyards. I mean, Upton Sinclair talks about them drowning in mud puddles. It was happening. And it, it was important to me to put that in there. And second, I don't want you to think they did never, this is the second addendum, I don't want you to think there was no sanitary measures for the food. I mean, it was, it was gross, but they did put it on ice, you know, sometimes they did. And, um, it occurred to me that the laws of matter dictate that solid water When it gets warm, turns into liquid water, that's also warm. And as it turns out, liquid water doesn't do shit to preserve meat. I know this is a stunning revelation, but it gets better, right? This is the worst it ever is. It gets better, right? Right? And these rights are going up, just in case, just so you know I'm asking a question. Surprise, surprise. It doesn't get better. We left off with the passage of the Meat Inspection Act and the formation of the FDA, and I'm thinking the same thing you are. What exactly does that do? Uh, Tommy, what does the FDA exactly do? Good question, invisible audience member. Well, to give credit where credit is due, we have cleaner meat today, I think. No longer do we see irresponsible levels of rancid meat going to the public, I think. The industry is no longer responsible for the death of a whole battalion of soldiers. Now I know that, so at least they have that going for them. They're not killing entire groups of soldiers. We have a couple of questions here. Let's turn them into statements. Let's go back to the kitchen. 1998 budget proposal. Then President Bill Clinton asked for $43 million, 43 million new dollars, for a program to improve surveillance and detection of foodborne illnesses. He wants more money to look at foodborne illnesses. Why? We got the FDA. We got the Meat Inspection Act. What the hell do you need more money for? People aren't dying, right? Right? Well, you can argue that for a multitude of precipitating factors, we get this uh, proposal. But here's the stats. There's a couple of real solid things I think we can point at. For example, in 1996 alone, between 6.5 to 33 million people worldwide experienced foodborne illnesses. Now, 
first off, it's not a huge number, but it's a percentage. And there's also a large gap to contend with between 6.5 to 33 million. Like, what the hell is that? That's because um, some of these foodborne illnesses, as we learned last week, have a lot of symptoms in common with other diseases and other illnesses. So the number could be higher. I've seen estimates go up really high, but I think they're a little unrealistic. Or it could be, you know, it could be somewhere in the middle of that 6.5 to 33 million. Most likely, as with a lot of things, it's somewhere in the middle. Now, I mean, it isn't a huge number, 33 million worldwide. I mean, there's a lot more than 33 million people in the world. But you have to remember, you're playing Russian roulette with that number. That 33 million, it could be you. That's two bullets in the gun. Do you really want to play? Someone just... But the gun's not at your head. It's at your gut. You ever see Deer Hunter? Throw a little more bullets in the gun so we could play the game. 1993. Nineteen ninety three, Jack in a Box has an equal I zero one five seven H seven outbreak. Yeah, it leads to the death of four children. In case you're wondering, the hallmark of E. coli zero one five eight seven H seven is bloody diarrhea. There's no definitive therapy and no consensus on which antibodies would work. Four dead children. Russian roulette, that's what I'm saying. 1996, the unpasteurized cider scare. People were scared about catching some sort of disease from that. And of course, the fact that there are 2 million cases of salmonella per year, which in its own game, outside of the 33 million foodborne illnesses, that's its own kind of game of Russian gut roulette, we'll call it. I mean, after all, 10 to 20% of all commercially available eggs contain salmonella. Let's break that down a little bit more. That's 3% of all laying chickens carrying salmonella. And by the way, chickens have a single excretory orifice, which means when the eggs are laid, they're covered in shit. So all you farm-to-table folks, you really want to get any eggshells out of your cookie batter. Just saying. 3%, you know. That's 3 out of every 100. So you're playing Russian roulette. I mean, so what does all this what does all this mean? What's what's different? Well, it's the meat game. It's the food game. And it's always gonna be dirty. You're playing with goddamn animals. Of course it's gonna get gross from time to time. Animals shit, animals piss, animals get disease like anyone else. They're not exempt from it, you know? Anytime you're dealing with animals, you're not going to have a perfectly clean environment. Yes, it's better, but it's not perfect, and I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. We just want the companies, the meatpacking industry, they got to level with you. And I think they're doing a pretty decent job with it, as you, as we see. There's outbreaks, but they're happening less, you know? And that's not necessarily what I really want to touch on. That's not the end game. Like, we know animals shit and they get sick. Like, we know this. We take, we take the... We take the gun and we play the game of Russian roulette with animal, with an animal every time we every time we eat food. So you're not going to change that, but at least the working at least the working conditions are better, right? Well, no. These figures, by the way, they come from OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It's a 
it's a government bureaucratic organization and they they go in they do these studies they look at how safe uh, working conditions are at a certain place you know so the BLS which is the Bureau of Labor Statistics it reports injury and illness rates of the meatpacking industry are two and a half times higher than the national average. So you're two and a half times more likely to get an injury or illness working in the meatpacking industry than most any other place working in the U.S. They also found that you are three times more likely to have a serious injury that would take days away from work in the meatpacking industry than U.S. industries as a whole. That means you're three times more likely to have a serious injury than any other manufacturing industry in the United States. Three times. They found that knives are the major cause of the cuts and abrasions to the hands. It's the major cause of injury. Now they say, quote, Although modern technology has eliminated a number of hand knife operations, the hand knife remains the most commonly used tool and causes the most frequent and severe accidents. For example... One worker used a knife to pick up a ham prior to boning. The knife slipped out of the ham, striking him in the eye and blinding him. Another worker was permanently disfigured when the knife slipped out of a piece of meat and struck him in the nose, upper lip, and chin. I mean, what the hell? This isn't 1900 Chicago. This is today. He got blinded permanently from a knife in a freaking piece of ham. In a piece of ham. God damn it. There's these other things called neighbor cuts with the knives. It's when a worker cuts another worker because they're moving too damn quick. They're chopping up the meats, they're cutting the meats, and they're in this like assembly line, this disassembly line, you know. It's overcrowded. Someone cuts someone else's hand. I mean, what the what the hell? OSHA, the manual, they were released a manual. You can go you can go look this up, by the way. Type in on Google or Bing or Yahoo or whatever the hell you're using. Meatpacking industry, OSHA. The whole manual will come up. You'll be able to read all about this shit. This is this is what the government reports as the standard. They go on to say, falls also represent one of the greatest sources of serious injuries. Because of the nature of the work, floor surfaces throughout the plants, oh, this is gross, tend to be wet and slippery. Animal fat, when allowed to accumulate on floors to dangerous levels, and blood, leaking pipes, and poor drainage are the major contributors to treacherously slippery floors. Animal fat. Goddamn animal fat. Accumulating on the floor to a dangerous level. I mean, I went on to check out some other stuff. Like outside of OSHA. I wanted to read maybe a news article, see what they were saying about it. I found an article today. Because it's, it's the same research as historical research. You're just doing it today, you know? You evaluate the source, the newspaper that you find the stuff in. You evaluate it. So I was looking and I found this article in The Guardian. Where they talk about common workplace injuries in today's slaughterhouses. These were some of the standouts for me. And I quote, An employee's left arm had to be surgically amputated at the shoulder after it was pulled into a cubing machine during sanitation. His shoulder was pulled into a cubing machine. His left arm had to be amputated. There was nothing left of it, you know. It was all just mangled. Here's another one. 
A worker was reaching down to pick up a box to clear a jam when his jacket became caught in a roller. As he tried to pull it out, his hand got pulled in as well. His hand and lower arm were crushed. It's like that scene in Austin Powers where the guard's just yelling, Stop! Stop! And Austin Powers is like, Move, baby, move! And he doesn't move, and he gets rolled over by the giant roller, and it kills him. Got sucked right up in and just crushed. Oh, God. Can you imagine that? Like, I stub my toe when I cry like a bitch. I cannot imagine my hand getting rolled over by a cruel, cold, calculating, unfeeling rolling machine. I mean, I really just characterized that rolling machine. I'm sure it's a good guy, you know, out in the world. But it just rolled over the guy's hand. It's the news. It's, it's a stat. I have a few more. While an employee was attempting to remove the ribs from the spine of a cattle rib set, his hand was made his hand made contact with a running vertical bandsaw and two of his fingers were amputated. Like that. Two of his fingers were amputated. Zzz, gun. An employee working on a sanitation crew pushed the stop button after removing parts from the upper portion of a machine. The employee then placed his foot into a horizontal grinder while climbing down the machine, causing all five of the toes on his right foot to be amputated. Amputated. It sounds so nice when they put it like that. Amputated. It sounds so surgical and precise. His foot went into a horizontal grinder. And five toes were amputated. Five toes were ripped off of his foot. Let's be real. And they're not all slices. They're not all cuts. There's some other injuries, too. Here's another one. A worker was clearing the hydrolyzer when back pressure caused hot feathers to discharge onto him. As he moved out of the way, he fell six feet, breaking a bone over his left eye, and he was suffering first and second degree burns to his hands, arms, face, and neck. The dude got tarred and feathered at work. I mean, granted, there was no tar, so he got feathered. He got hot feathered at work. Could you imagine feathers blasting out at your face? Maybe the back ends, the quill, not the feather parts, going right in, you know? Damn. And here's the, here are the, here are the kickers for me. I mean, these are all horrible anecdotes some bad stats that really, really nail home the conditions today. But it's all for it's all for naught if you don't take in a couple of things. First off, these figures come from 22 of the 50 states. So no one really knows what the totals are. It could be much worse. We only have 22 of the 50 states. We're not even at half. So working conditions could be harder, longer, faster, faster. That's what we need to worry about. The speed at which these guys today are working. Today they average two amputations a week in meatpacking industries. Two amputations a week. And the union and the industry as a whole, they agree that injuries have gone down. Injuries have gone down 
two amputations a week is an acceptable collateral for business. However, there's new concerns that these speed limitations that are keeping it at the acceptable, quote, acceptable two amputations are going to be revoked, going to be pulled from work. So that means there's no speed limit. There's no limitation on how any how many animals can be pushed through a disassembly line at any given time. There's no saying the kind of shit these employees will see if that happens. If they repeal the speed limit, what's the theme? What's the connection? It's dirty business as usual. And hold up, hold up. Kavya. I'm all for capitalism. I think it's the most effective standard of production. We don't have a better model currently. There might be one out there, not saying there isn't. Saying we haven't te- we haven't seen one in practice that has worked extremely well yet in history. As we'll touch on in the future, socialist and communist models have have failed. They have not saying they were always, you know, it's always really good on paper. Always good in theory, but in practice, shit doesn't always shake out. So when profit trumps decency, that's when we see more than two amputations a week. Fun fact, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Gelatin. From what I've from what I've been led to understand, gelatin derives from the rendering plants, where they take all the excess cartilage, small bones, fats, guts, yada yada yada, all the excess parts that aren't used for cuts of meat, sausage casings, whatever. It's boiled down, the top skimmed off, and they make soap, you make cosmetics, a whole bunch of shit comes from all the skimmed off stuff from rendering plants, and there's this gooey, ooey gooey Ganoush, if you will, from the bottom. It's like this. And they scrape that off. They make the gelatin out of that. That's what I've been reading. Dirty business as usual. I'm Tommy Thompson, and this has been Dirty History. This has been the conclusion of Slaughterhouses and of Meatpacking. Now, you guys got to let me know what you think. Let me know what you want to hear. Let me know some other show ideas that you have. You know, some other episodes that you'd like to you like to know more about. Things you're like, huh, I wonder why they didn't cover this shit in school. Let me know why. Let me know what it is. I'll let you know why they didn't cover it. I'll let you know about it. I'll cover it. And as usual, if you like what you heard here, subscribe. Subscribe to the shit. Let us know. Follow us on Twitter and on Instagram. I'm on Twitter at, at poddirty, P-O-D-D-I-R-T-Y. Follow me on that shit. Keep us updated. Dirty History is not every Tuesday for 20 minutes. Dirty History is every day of the week. Every day of the week. We are talking about it on Twitter and whatever it is, 160 characters or less. It's nice to cover some stuff that won't be a full episode. Plus, you get a lot of updates. Follow us on Instagram at Tommy underscore Tombstones. 
Instagram at Tommy underscore Tombstones. I'm posting a dirty history picture every day of the week. Fun fact, we're having little things, you know, guess what this thing does, and guess what this was for, you know, all kinds of good shit. There's goodies on the Instagram. Just go and follow it. Go and follow it. Like a picture or two. Leave a comment. Hey, I was listening to the show, and I hate your voice. Just do that. And I'll tell you, go screw yourself. It's my voice. Why the hell are you listening to the podcast? And then I'll, I'll block you. That's how it's going to get down. And what else? The show artwork. It's by Woodrow Cower. That show artwork with the four skulls and the one skull. Man, I love that shit. He did the artwork. He has an Instagram. Woodrow draws pictures. Woodrow draws pictures. He does commissions. He has an Etsy. Go buy some paintings. Give him some money. Give it to him. Just a little bit if you got a little bit, but you're probably not going to get an artwork back. If you pay him, he will paint. If you pay him, he will paint. Hmm, yeah. That should be his headline. If you pay me, I'll paint some shit. And he will. Oh, he will. I've seen him do it. He does it. He paints things. Who else? Lucas Farrell. Lucas Farrell. This guy. He runs the YouTube. He's on the Twitter, monitoring it, doing stuff on it. Tweeting to people and things. It's also me. We do it both, but... I can't be everywhere at once. He helps me out. But he does a lot of work. A lot of labor. Dirty business as usual. I'm Tommy Thompson. I'm the voice coming at you into your ears. I do all the research and the talking and the editing. That's me. So reach out. Let us know how you feel about the show. We love to hear from you. I also have a Facebook. It's it's there. It's up now. I I relented. I hope you enjoy the show. If you don't, tell me what the hell to do to improve it. I'm trying to please you. That's how I keep doing this show. I don't do it by not doing it well. So keep us updated. As Truman says from that movie, The Truman Show, Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. I'm Tommy Thompson. And this, if you don't know what it is already, it's Dirty History. I will see you next Tuesday where we're going to talk about something new. Something fun. Unless you were the one getting tortured. And then it wasn't that fun. I'll see you next week.